Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. It's become more than just catcalls and shouts at public meetings across America. A good illustration of that happened recently in Sarasota, where after she spoke in favor of students wearing masks, a group of picketers stood outside school board member Shirley Brown's home. Including among the placards reading Get Out was a man wearing a Proud Boys t-shirt shouting into a handheld speaker. So where is the line between free speech and intimidation? We'll talk about that with Shirley Brown. Welcome to Florida Matters. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Shirley, first describe what happened outside your home recently, and were you surprised by that kind of behavior? Uh, well, my husband and I were you know, getting ready to sit down to dinner, and we heard a siren outside and saw flashing lights. And when I went to the door um, uh, to look out through the glass, um, I saw this group out there calling out my name, and I figured, you know, they were protesting. Um, I came back and got away from the glass door and went in and, and called the police. And they were there within 10 minutes. And um, probably, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, they convinced the group to leave. Uh, but uh, a lot of neighbors were upset about all the yelling and that they were in the streets and of our neighborhood. Is this the first time this has happened to you in your experience? Absolutely the first time. And, and you know, I've been on the school board for 15 years now. And uh, I was in the legislature uh, for eight years and never had something like this um, where it went this far. Now, some of our board meetings have been uh, a little raucous. You know, we've got taken to having um, everyone scanned before they come in for their metal detector. And, you know, we have, you know, at least six officers at all of our meetings. And I walked to my car after the meetings. You know, this has all happened in the last year. I wanted to ask you, uh, there's been some debate at the school board about putting limits on speech at the the meetings, uh, putting some limits on how the public can behave. Do you believe there should be some kind of parameters or, you know, you think that might be infringing on free speech? We allow up to three minutes of speech. Um, what we are going to be proposing, uh, we've talked about it at several uh, workshops beforehand, is that those people who want to speak about an item that we're going to be voting on, we're going to have them talk at the beginning of the meeting before we take a vote. And those people who want to make general comments, uh, such as CRT, and aren't on our agenda, but you know they want to they want to talk about them. So we'll allow them to talk, um, but it'll be after we we finished with the business so that our staff don't have to spend the evening with us, you know, listening to all of this, that they can go home with their families. So there's been some moves to make school board races partisan. Do, do you think that that is a good idea? I mean, people already pretty much know what your stands are on certain issues, right? I absolutely oppose the uh, parties can be involved in the race, 
But what I don't like is to have the, the candidates run by a party, because what that does is if they're decided in a primary, it, it shuts out, you know, one third of our voters. It, back in, in the 90s, I worked with our, the Constitution Revision Commission, and, and I asked that it be put on to, to take the uh, party away from the school board members, because there's no need for that. And we should be asking the candidates, you know, first off, do you support public schools? And, or do you, did you attend public schools? Did your kids attend public schools? You know, those kinds of questions, because I think that's something we really need to know. It's not a given anymore that if you are on a public school board, that you support public schools. All right. Well, you know, issues that you have uh, backed in the past, such as, uh, you know, having students wear masks, have really become partisan issues. Um, are you seeing that as well? And uh, do you have any theories on why this is? Why stuff that should be in the realm of science have become so partisan? You know, I'm not so sure if it's even partisan because, you know, I've, I've had a lot of Republicans contacting me that they're, they're supporting mask mandates. Um, or they want their children safe at school. I think that, um, you know, we all know that Donald Trump changed the pace of politics. And, and uh, just like the Tea Party got people excited, you know, about elections, you know, what, 10, 20 years ago, um, now we're seeing Moms for Liberty uh, and um, other groups, the Patriots and the Proud Boys, you know, the, the party knows, I mean, that's how you get people excited. You get them um, upset about something. And then they'll come out and vote for it. You know, how do you think this affects the kids? I mean, it's all about the kids, right? Do you, do you believe that this affects them on some level or it kind of goes over their heads and it's something their parents are doing? And I know it affects the kids when there's people screaming at them as they're walking to school, uh, as we've had not only here in Sarasota, but across the country. They did it in California, too, yelling at kids that those masks aren't gonna save them. Those masks aren't any good. They're not gonna keep the virus out. You know, that scares kids. What, why would you do that? Um, and the other thing is when you're teaching kids, to me, not care about what your actions have, you know, on other people. And I think, you know, that's wrong that we're not caring about the community in the rest of the world. I mean. I feel that we're going in a wrong direction. Shirley, I just have one final question for you. You know, uh, because of all this vitriol going on out there, some people have said they're afraid to go to school board meetings. Um, have you seen that? Or do you believe that, you know, this is aimed at school board members like you, so you will just get sick of it and not run for re-election? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the you know, they even were, you know, chanting outside the board meetings to resign or trying to get, you know, they were doing signature things to get us uh, removed from office and to keep others. But I think it's also uh, awakened a lot of other mothers and fathers too, to say, wait a minute, our schools are under attack. We need to stand up and and fight for them now. So I think there are uh, people that are going to come forward and really pay attention to who's running for the school board. Cause I think it's so important to just make sure that who's running for school board supports our public schools. What I'm hearing is you believe that maybe one of the solutions to this is to stand up, stand up to bullying, stand up to threats of intimidation. And maybe that's the only way to deal with this. 
I'm, I definitely am getting a lot of letters of support or emails and calls of support uh, for our public schools. And that's something that, you know, you don't normally hear, but parents who support their schools and, and think that their kids have done well in public schools, they need to stand up too, because we can't just have all of this negative stuff coming on about our public schools, because that's part of, I believe, part of the strategy. You know, they want kids to leave public schools and go to these for-profit private schools and these charter schools that are run for for-profit companies. Because again, that's where the money is coming from on a lot of this uh, in, uh, in Tallahassee and, and across the country. These people are putting money in uh, and making money off of these schools. And it, it might not be you know, where you can see it, but it's a, you know, a developer will build a school and then they'll turn around and rent it at exorbitant rates or then turn around and sell it to somebody uh, and make a profit off of it. We're not making a profit off of our kids, and, and it's hard. So I can't imagine balancing a budget and making a profit at the same time. Uh, you, you're taking that right off of our kids' backs, and that, that's not what our, our tax dollars should be used for. Okay. Shirley Brown is a longtime school board member in Sarasota County. Thank you so much for being on Florida Matters. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up on Florida Matters, we'll talk with one of Shirley Brown's colleagues on the Sarasota County School Board. Welcome back to Florida Matters. We'll now talk with Shirley Brown's colleague on the Sarasota County School Board, Bridget Ziegler. We're speaking to her over Zoom. Bridget Ziegler is a member of the Sarasota County School Board and is co-founder of the Nationwide Moms for Liberty movement. Their mission statement is, We're dedicated to fighting for the survival of America by unifying, educating, and empowering parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. Bridget, welcome to Florida Matters. Thank you for having me. So, as you know, your colleague on the board, one of your colleagues on the board, Shirley Brown, has has been making the rounds of media lately and has said the atmosphere at school board meetings has become intolerable. She says she's been called a tyrant, communist, chance of we're going to get you. So there's been some debate at the school board on whether there should be some limits on how the public can behave at these meetings. Uh, do you believe there should be parameters and what people should be allowed to say? You know, I believe, and, and I've said this a couple of times, I believe the right to petition your government is a sacred right and one that makes our um, country very unique and one that is worth protecting. As a board member who's been on the board for about seven years, I can tell you there have been a, a litany of various highly polarized, highly emotional topics that have come to the chambers in which you find the community being split. And I, as a conservative, have certainly taken my fair share of, you know, verbal criticisms and a belief that came with the territory and does come with the territory as an elected official. I've also been, uh, as have my fellow colleagues, the recipient of accolades. So it goes both ways. There's no question that right now there is a substantial amount of frustration and concern and passion. Um, and when it comes to people's children, you know, I always say, if you can't be, if you can't be passionate about your children, I don't know what you can. And so understanding and being sympathetic and empathetic to, to the people who are coming to speak, whether you agree with them or not, I think is, is a responsibility of the elected officials. And so 
I will tell you, I've been witness to what I believe was responses by certain board members to speakers that I believe further fueled the frustration. And I think that's a disservice and really played a significant role. And I think you're seeing this across the country, the frustrated people for whatever the topic may be coming to the meetings and they're met with a level of disdain or provoking almost in which they're being interrupted on ground that would not permit usual interruption. They're not, you know, these are not when you're using foul language or threatening or impeding on someone else's right to petition their government. It was truly interrupting because they didn't like what they said. And that is a dangerous bar. I mean, I'm sure as journalists, you can, you could agree with that. Where do you, where do you draw that line? And are you executing it consistently across the board? And the answer is no. And so the reality is, is we, all of that is a terrible place to be in, but I think it's important to understand how do we get here? Right. Like you're saying, there needs to be some kind of line being drawn. The question is where to draw on the line. Um, You know, recently, uh, I'll go back to Shirley Brown again. She uh, had a group of people that that were protesting outside her house uh, after one of the meetings. I believe this is about uh, the mask mandates. And um, I'm looking at a picture she took right now. There's a there's a child with a sign that says child abuse. There's a guy with a Proud Boys shirt with a bullhorn yelling in it. And uh, Dirty Shirley, not needed, get out. Do you believe that this furthers the discourse of, 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 of debate and democracy, what we're trying to do? Or should these things be kept inside the boardroom? Very, very vocally uh, denounced that kind of behavior because in my mind, it does a number of things. It, it does nothing positive. Go Going out to a, a person's private residence is not going to benefit whatever you're, whatever anyone's advocating for. I'd argue that as the counter effect. And I've always said what you, how you advocate is equally as important as to what you're advocating for. Because if you don't think through it, it discredits your what you're, what you're championing. And that's across the board, no matter what the topic is. And I'll tell you, I, I understand, again, people are frustrated. I denounce anyone going to anyone's private residence. But I do strongly protect, as we go back to the question you first asked, is how important it is to protect the ability to comment, comment during a public meeting. And there has been a organized effort to limit public comment, um, whether it be the amount of time, whether it be access, whether it be what you can say. And so as elected officials who are there to serve the public, I think it's very important that you evaluate it and look at the implications or unforeseen consequences that you can that can take place if you are trying to reduce or muzzle or limit the public's right to petition their government because you then are further fueling frustration. And so we need to protect that. That's that's very, very important. Well, maybe some of these these limitations that you were referring to are in response to what's been happening at some meetings. Uh, I've been at school board meetings where people come in, they start yelling at each other. They, they start yelling at somebody who's speaking at the podium. And the minute the doors open to the lobby in the back, you hear people yelling and screaming and cheering, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, some people have said they're afraid to go to school board meetings because they're afraid of being harassed. So what do we do to to maybe calm the passions a little bit, respect people's right to have their opinions heard without talking over somebody else? I think it's a great question. And it's something I constantly think about. And, I, and to me, I, I start with how we behave as a board, as individual board members, and trying to set the tone for the kind of temperature and, and climate and, and open you know, civil discourse or discussion. Um, and, and unfortunately, again, I, I don't believe that that has been 
illustrated fairly. I believe that causes a further divide. I've been chair a few years ago during a very, very highly divisive topic. Um, it was when we were dealing with uh, gender diverse guidelines. I was chair. I was probably, I was, and it was probably about 50% of our community felt one way and 50% the other. And that was a very passionate topic of conversation. And I was able to fortunately, obviously take criticism as well as hear from the public in a variety of ways. And we were able to get through it civilly without without muzzling any person's thought or um, opinion and, and protected their right to, to petition their government and make their voices heard. And I think that really is indicative of the, and I go back to the public officials really taking a moment to reflect on what they are doing to uh, provoke the further atmosphere. And I agree, we need to, we have an oath to uphold a, you know, do the business of the board, but we have an oath to hear from the public and like we can do both. And I, I fundamentally believe in that. And I think that um, I don't want anyone to be fearful to come to the um, to the board, no matter what they want to speak on. And so we need to be able to have that calm. And I think, again, the way that leadership is at the board, who's chairing it and how they're responding and how they're uh, how they're creating that atmosphere plays a very, very significant role as to as to how to um, to temper down the, the emotions. Right. As you know, uh, partisan politics has really crept into everything we're doing, um, even in places like like school boards where they haven't been so noticeable in the past. Um, do you believe school board races should be partisan? And if you do, wouldn't that just increase this, uh, you know, if I'm right, you must be wrong argument that we're hearing in just about every other topic out there? Well, thank you for that question. I know it's been a hot, uh, highly discussed topic. And I will tell you that um, I do support it being a partisan race because, and I'll tell you why, it's a misnomer that politics or school boards are nonpartisan. They are not. And it, just because they have a nonpartisan race involved does not mean politics, do, if anything, it, it really just hides the politics of the policies that are being put forward. And I think that has played a significant role again into where we find ourselves that you have a number of the public who've never been active, never been involved, sent their children to public school, big supporters of public schools, um, you know, involved, but didn't necessarily realize the extent of certain curriculum and material and, and what was transpiring. And as a result of COVID, I think you have, I mean, there's no, it's unquestionable it's across the country that parents were quite taken back about some of the social issues in particular that were being pushed um, or promoted inside the public schools. And so I believe moving to, you know, nonpartisan, again, is a misnomer. It is very partisan. It's just been very partisan on a left-leaning side for decades. All right, so why do you think issues that are really hot button topics right now, you know, mass having to wear masks in schools, uh, critical race theory, why do you believe that these have become partisan issues? Why do you think that if you are a Republican, you're one way in this issue, if you're Democrat, you're in another one? I don't, especially with masks, to me, that's a that's a head scratcher. I don't know how that could be partisan. I, you know, for me, Personally, I can speak as I've been a long, very vocal advocate for parental rights. I helped kind of push the bill that is now law in the state of Florida for the Florida Parent Bill of Rights. And really it comes down to them being the primary decision makers for the upbringing and, and health care of their and education of their, their minor children. And so when it comes to mass, my my point of view, and I do, I'm in risk management for a profession in the private sector, 
was I really wanted it to be optional for each family. And I can tell you, I, regardless of what I choose for my child, I believe that what another parent wants for their child, that does not invalidate that. I think that is important. And that as a policymaker, I made that very clear to ensure that we could listen to them and hear from them and, and take their concerns seriously, which I always did. Um, as far as critical race theory, I think, I think that goes into, again, it, it's a, it goes back to, I believe con, there's a conservative ideology that believes education should be focused on the core education, you know, instruction, foundational instructional skills to allow for critical thinking. Well, a lot of people believe critical race theory, at least parts of it, uh, educates students about our history, stuff that doesn't get taught, and it's precursor to what has happened in American society ever since the founding of the country. But I think that's an important part to distinction because I do hear there, you know, first of all, critical race theory seems to have been generalized. And then you have counter to that of people who are pushing and against, which I, I don't want to see the rebranded or watered down version of critical race theory in K-12, especially when you're talking about kindergarten and first grade and second grade, they have not built the, the cognitive foundational skill set to understand the complexity of that theory being presented as it was initially back in, you know, from a higher education aspect. So it sounds like you're totally in support of what the Sarasota County School Board just recently did, removing part of the Black Lives Matters protest from the, uh, the fifth grade curriculum materials. I, I am. And, you know, here's my litmus test. What if trying to think about because it's, I'm very cognizant of not censoring and, and again, age appropriateness, making sure that it's relevant to the standards. And, and so, so the litmus test for this is, you know, there are people absolutely, when you think about Black Lives Capital, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, that is a political movement that has very, has, has certain agendas to it that many people do not agree with. And we are, again, a public education institution. So I'll use um, if there was a, a, a clip that used Moms for Liberty in, 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 in the same aspect that they do here, I would be curious to see if the same kind of frustration or backlash would be. And I, I think that we use litmus tests that way. I'm just going to wrap up here, Bridget. Um, you, know, you mentioned passion a couple of times, passion for the issues. Is there still room for compromise or is that a dirty word? Is it I'm so passionate about this issue that... I'm going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing until it passes or doesn't pass. But is there still room in our society for talking through differences or is that so 20th century? I certainly hope that we have the ability to compromise and work through things. I just think it's really important to put your feet in other people's shoes and try to look at it from a different perspective and then make and evaluate, does this make sense or not? And so that's something I try to do on every topic we face. So, Next up on Florida Matters, we'll talk to WUSS reporter and anchor Kerry Sheridan, who reports on education in Sarasota County. Hi, Kerry. Hi, Steve. So we just heard from, you know, we heard from Shirley Brown and we heard from Bridget Ziegler and it's kind of we're hearing he said, she said about who's causing what out there. What is the general feeling that you're seeing covering these school board meetings in particular? And, you know, maybe this is just a, a local symptom of a much greater uh, problem, for lack of a better word, we're seeing out there. Definitely. Um, you're seeing this kind of contentious school board environment all across the country. You have a lot of people showing up to meetings, 
Um, a lot of people yelling, uh, yelling insults, threatening each other, very, very divided. Um, and, it, and I think it is a symptom of, of sort of what is happening in the larger society and that these board meetings have become extremely political. They're not supposed to be political, but they have become that. Well, you know, to be fair, we've always had this kind of discourse in school board meetings, county commission meetings, local meetings. People get very passionate. You know, the closer you are to the people being affected, probably the more passionate they are, right? What makes this so different? I mean, let's just go back to Shirley Brown for a minute. She showed a picture of people who actually came to her house. There was a guy in a Proud Boys t-shirt with a bullhorn and other people with placards saying, get out. I mean, does that cross the line in your opinion? I had seen uh, chatter on social media months ago, people talking about going to Shirley's house. There are a lot of people who post very negative things about her and they want her to hear them. And they felt that she wasn't hearing them. And a guy wrote, what do you think we show up at her house? And then he took it down not long after. So I was in a way, I was surprised to see people show up at her house, but in a way I wasn't because I had seen that people wanted to do that. And, you know, school board meetings have been contentious for years. I mean, going back to Obama, the, the Obama era, Common Core wasn't always an issue, uh, the teaching of evolution. You know, there have always been kind of hot button topics that people have wanted to bring up and debate at school board meetings. But I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. And I think a lot of it has to do with social media and what people are reading online and uh, the information that they're getting. All right. So here's the $64,000 question. Well, where does parental rights end and advocating, you know, meaningful change begin? Where is that line? What can be done without trampling on the right to free speech while respecting people's rights to have their own opinions? That is the million dollar question, Steve. <laughs> well, it's it's a great question. I mean, you know, Shirley Brown got into a bit of hot water for saying at one point that parents do not have the all-encompassing rights to raise their children. That really incited a lot of anger on another side, a political side of this area where people felt that parental rights are incredibly important. And now those rights are enshrined in law. So uh, you have people who are saying that they have to follow the law. And this, this example of uh, the curriculum being changed in fifth grade in Sarasota to remove the mention of a Black Lives Matter march, they cited the law in Florida, which prevents the teaching of critical race theory. Now, does and a personal narrative really account for critical race theory? I'm not sure. I, don't, I would tend to think not. Um, but definitely, it's set the stage for an incredible amount of litigation, ongoing fights over what parents have the right to do and what schools have the right to do. Right. Do you believe this might be getting to the point where some people may not want to show up at school board meetings because they're afraid of getting shouted down or even school board members might not want to run for re-election because they're tired of all the vitriol out there? Are we, are we seeing that at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know that there are some parents who would like to speak out at meetings, but they're deterred by the really, you know, ruckus environment of these meetings. It's, it's very stressful to be in the room. Um, it's very contentious. People are shouting. They're being rude to each other. They're not listening to each other. They're just waiting for their turn to speak. So it can be a frustrating experience. Um, 
And then you have the issue of free speech, which has also come up quite a bit. What are people allowed to say? Um, what are people not allowed to say? Is there anything that they're not allowed to say in a school board meeting or do? And it's really, it's been unclear. There's been some attempts to litigate that in courts and, and prevent people from doing certain things in a school board meeting, but it hasn't gotten very far. Right, very good. Carrie Sheridan is a WSF reporter and anchor covering education. She's based in Sarasota. Uh, Carrie, thanks so much for covering this. And I'm sure you're going to keep your ears to the ground on this issue. <laughs> I will. Thank you, Steve. And that's it for today's show. Our thanks to school board members Shirley Brown and Bridget Ziegler and to WUSF reporter Carrie Sheridan. Our producer is Denora Prevost. I'm Steve Newborn. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters.